Well, good evening, everybody. Good evening. Tonight, I'm gonna we're gonna continue continue on in our study on glory connection, and the title for tonight's teaching is "In the Midst of the Storm." Can you say that with me? In, in the, the midst, midst of the storm. How many of you have been in a storm lately? You've been caught in the fiery storms of life, and you don't you, you can't see a way out. Tonight, through Ezekiel, through John, through Paul. We're going to see how, 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 we, how to respond when, when we're caught in the midst of the storm. The prophet Ezekiel begins his book with a glorious encounter with the heavenly chariot of fire. Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 1 and verse 4 read, In the thirtieth year, the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the exiles by the river Habar, the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. Verse 4, as I looked, behold, a stormy wind came out of the north. I want you to notice something here. Notice that Ezekiel looked. And when we're caught in the midst of our own personal, personal storms in life, we must remember to look to Jesus. Remember, Peter began to sink when he looked away from Jesus and looked at the storm. And we must, in the midst of our storms, we need to learn how to keep our eyes on Jesus. And when we cry out to Him, He will stretch out His hand to us and pull us out of that storm. Amen? Yes. And, he will, and he, will, he will save you from sinking. And it reads, As I looked, behold, a stormy wind came out of the north, and a great cloud with brightness round about it, and fire flashing forth continually, and in the midst of the fire, as it were, gleaming bronze. That's Ezekiel 1, 1 and verse 4. Now, some years after Israel arrived in Babylon, this is the first of the four exiles of the Jewish people, not counting the Egyptian exile. So some years, maybe about five years, I'm thinking, after the exile, they arrived, they're in Babylon, and the prophet Ezekiel received a prophecy as he was standing by the river Abar. And as he stood on the banks of the river, the heavens were opened to him, and he was shown glorious visions of God. And these visions are known in Talmudic literature as the Merkava. Can you say it with me? Merkava. It's also called the Ma'asa Merkava, which means account of the chariot. So what we're going to study tonight, and we're going to repeat the last part of last week's teaching, we're going to talk about the Merkava. We're going to talk about the chariot of fire. We're going to talk about the components of the chariot of fire. And as I was even studying and meditating these verses today, I couldn't help but think about what it, you know, about all the components that are in, that are in a, in a car and what makes a car move. But today we're going to explore this in terms of heavenly concepts. Now Ezekiel's vision was so lofty, it was so high, so exalted, so holy that the Art Scroll Commentary provides a disclaimer. You know, we're used to seeing disclaimers and packaging and labels and, and medications. Often when we go to the doctor, Bob and I went to uh, pick up medication earlier this week, and you, you look at the side effects, and often the side effects are, 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 are more than what the benefits are. And, but, and, and this is what it reads, this is what the art scroll says about Ezekiel. And it says, in this vision, supernatural concepts are described in human terms. They cannot be understood literally, nor in our spiritual poverty, are we equipped even to glimpse at their inner meaning? So we're going to look at this vision, at this prophecy, through, the, through a glass dimly. We're only going to perceive it in part, 
I mean, because we're looking into the glory of heaven. Yeah. We're looking into the majesty of God's throne room. And we, can only, and, and we can only grasp it in a very minute manner. But even the minute manner is going to cause you to grow leap bounds in God. Amen? Amen. You're going to grow so high spiritually. Amen. You're going to become more like Jesus. Yeah. You're going to become more prophetic. You're going to become more angelic. You're going to become more holy. And, and just as you meditate in these concepts we're going to teach tonight. So in, in this heavenly encounter, Ezekiel sees a stormy wind. A great cloud of fire that conceals God's presence. In the midst of this, we see angelic forces issuing forth from God's presence. Yeah. And within this, in the midst of the storm, within the midst of the storm, we see God's glory. And it's my prayer tonight that every one of you is going to experience God's presence. Yeah. That you are going to enter into the realm of God's glory. You're going to experience a glory connection in your life. To prepare for this teaching required many hours of just being separated from everything. Because this type of revelation does not, does not come easily. It comes just by being completely separated. So I, I, I've had to be separated in order for this revelation to come. I mean, I've been disconnected from everybody except for work. So it's just, but this kind of, this is where God, this is where God has taken us. This is where I believe God is bringing the ministry because God yes. is bringing us into the realm of His glorious signs and wonders. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, Mamamides, who's also known as the Rambam, one of the a, a 12th century, I believe he's a, a 12th century uh, rabbinic scholar, I think the second most quoted rabbi in Judaism. The, the Mamamides explains that all angels fall under one of ten ranks. So there are ten rankings of angels and each the top the, the top highest level, then the ninth all the way down to the lowest level. And these ranks refer to the degrees that the angels comprehend the glory of God. Even in your own life, you're gonna find that each one of us is gonna have a different perception of God's presence. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. And you're gonna have a different comprehension of God's glory. Some of, the, some of us are in the outer court. Some of us are in the inner court. Some of us have entered the Holy of Holies. Yeah. But every one of us is going to experience diff different levels of, of God's glory. And it's my prayer that all of you are going to experience the realm of the heavenly chariots. Yeah. Of all the disciples of Elijah in his day, yeah. only one experienced the revelation of, of, of the Merkaba, and that was Elisha. Amen. Amen. There were thousands and thousands of prophets in the days of Elijah, but only Elisha was granted the revelation of that vision. Amen? Amen? So these ranks, again, refer to the degrees of angelic comprehension of God. And we can apply these concepts in our lives as well. Some of you may find you're more like the cherubim, others like the seraphim. You're going to find different attributes in your own calling that will line up with one, with one of the angelic species. Yeah. In our comprehension will determine the depth in which we can be used by God. That's why I encourage you, don't forsake your time with God. Do not forsake prayer. Don't let your ministries cloud out and block out your personal time with the Lord. It, time with God should, be, should take the precedence in our lives. Yeah. We, need, we need God more than anything. We need, the, we need to be with God. We need His glory in order to receive the anointing to serve Him. Amen? Yes. The glory and the anointing are, are not the same. The anointing will come upon you for service, but the glory is inside of you. The outward manifestation of God's presence is the anointing, but the inward manifestation is the glory. Amen? Amen. 
And my prayer tonight is that God will give all of us a greater depth of understanding. And, and through the study of the ten rankings of angels, you are going to enter into the greater depths of His glory. Amen? Amen. So we're going to start with the first rank. And the first, and actually these rankings that I'm giving you are not in ascending order. I really don't know what the order is. I just know what the highest ranking is. But I don't know which, what the lowest is. So the first rank of angels, according to the Rambam, is an angelic species known as the Hayot HaKodesh. Hayot HaKodesh. And if you want to know the spelling, uh, just, go out, just go out to my Facebook page, Destined for Torah, and I have them listed out there. So the first rank of angels is known as the Hayot HaKodesh. And is, in English, they are called the Holy Living Ones. And I, I, I'm not positive, but I believe these angelic species are, are seen in the whirlwind in Ezekiel's vision. Because everything that Ezekiel is seeing is of is a prophetic, is of spiritual nature. Nothing needs to be interpreted in the physical, even though we see the outward physical manifestation, because the whirlwind also represents Israel going into exile. Yeah. But there's also a spiritual element to this. And the Hayot HaKodesh, the holy living ones, are the stormy wind coming out of the north. And a great cloud with brightness round about it, and fire flashing continually, and in the midst of the fire, as it were, gleaming bronze. And within the storm we see cloud, we see fire, and we see a storm. We see, we, if you read the verse again, we see a great, we see a stormy wind, we see a great cloud, we, we, we see fire, and we see bronze. Cloud, fire, and, and this all parallels the three things that conceals God's presence. Because often in the midst of our personal storms, we do, we do not see God. And right now we are in the season of preparation for Hanukkah. We are preparing for Christmas. And it's almost during these dark times that, we, that we're, we're looking for the light, but we can't find the light. We think about all the countless wise men that came to Bethlehem looking for Jesus, coming looking for the Christ child. And they, and they, they, came, into, they came into the land during a very dark period in Israel's history. And the great storm represents the personal exiles of your life. If we have time tonight, we'll talk about Jacob's exile uh, when he was about to encounter Esau, his brother, after fleeing from Laban. So in the midst of this, we see angelic forces. So the, 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 um, the species in the whirlwind, the whirlwind, I believe, is the Hayat HaKadosh, the holy, holy living ones. Because everything, everything that you see in this, in, in this storm, everything that we see are different angelic species within the storm. Yeah. And again, as I shared last week, this is not something that you can draw or paint. These are spiritual things that are very difficult to, to represent two-dimensionally. The second rank of angels is known as the Ophanim. Can you say that with me? Ophanim. And the Ophanim, are, we find them in verse 15 of Ezekiel 1. Now, as I looked at the living creatures, and even the living creatures are angelic hosts, as I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel upon the earth beside the living creatures, one for each of the four of them. So we see four creatures, and we see, we see a wheel beside each of them. These wheels are known as Ophanim, 
and the Ophanim is an angelic being. They're angelic beings. So, so it's like a wheel inside of the wheel. What does that mean to us? The wheel has several meanings. The word Ophanim li literally translates into English as wheels, cycles, or ways. The cycles can refer the, to learning the Word of God, to Torah learning. If you're Jewish and, you're, and, you, and, you, and you follow the weekly Torah reading cycles, every week you're reading a different Parsha, right? And those, and those are a type of cycle. And then we have, we have the major biblical feast in the Bible, the seven major feasts. Then in addition, we have the minor feasts, which are rabbinic origin, like Hanukkah, Purim, so the, the minor feasts. But these are all cycles of heaven, amen? Ophanim also means to plan. The plan refers to carrying out God's plan in the creation. God's decision to make the heavens and the earth was not done just out of, um, just because God was bored. Everything that God created was done so by His divine plan. Amen. It was His will to create the heavens and the earth. So the Ophanim refers to wheels, cycles, or ways. It refers to the learning of God's Word, to the Torah reading cycles, the annual Torah reading cycles, and also refers to the Hebrew feast. For example, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning. Can you say that with me? In, in the, the beginning. beginning. If you take the words in the beginning and, and read them in Hebrew, and you rearrange the letters of those Hebrew words, the, the words can read on the first of Tishri. Why is that significant? On the first of Tishri is the first day of the seventh month, which is known as Rosh Hashanah, the Hebrew New Year. That teaches us that God began to create the universe on a Rosh Hashanah. And as I shared earlier this week, Rosh Hashanah is also the day in which God created Adam and Eve. Rosh Hashanah is the day in which God placed Adam and Eve into the garden. Rosh, I mean, placed Adam into the garden and he formed Eve in, within the garden. Rosh Hashanah is a day in which Joseph came out of prison, was washed, shaven, presented to Pharaoh, and he interpreted Pharaoh's dreams, and he wrote his own job description, and Pharaoh elevated him to viceroy over all of Egypt. He, and overnight, he became second in command over Egypt. And then we see Isaac was conceived on Rosh Hashanah. Hannah conceived Samuel on Rosh Hashanah. There have been countless Countless miracles that have taken place on Rosh Hashanah. So the Ophanim, the cycles of God, even pre-exist pre even the creation. And when, when we experience God's presence in the Hebrew feast within the Ophanim, it's like heaven connects to earth. Amen? Yeah. My prayer tonight is that through this teaching, we are going to connect to heaven. Yeah. And we're going to bring heaven down to earth. Amen? Mm -hmm. I mean, how much of God's presence do you want in your life? Yeah. Do you want a little bit or do you want a lot? How much of God do you want people in this world to experience? A lot. A lot, right? Yeah. So, I, I, um, let me give you an example of the, of the dedication of the temple in Jerusalem. The first temple that was dedicated by, Sol by, the, by Solomon, King Solomon. When all the men gathered into the temple, they were all shoved against each other and there was no room. But when the glory of God fell, each man fell to the floor, prostrate before God, and there was at least three feet between each individual. Wow. See, that was so supernatural what God did. Yeah. In Moses' tabernacle in the wilderness, there was smoke ascending from the altar continually, and it always ascended vertically into the sky. And it didn't matter, no matter what storm was present, 
what, what winds were blowing, and the, the smoke never deterred. It always proceeded directly upward, vertically, at a 90 degree angle. And so, so glorious. It was in God's glory that Peter was able to walk on the water. So likewise, we must learn how to walk in God's ways, to follow God's plan for our lives, and the blueprint to our destiny, the blueprint to our purpose, is found within the pages of God's Word. Amen? Amen. Many of us don't find God's will is because we don't take the time to open his, the Bible and take time to read it. Yes. Amen? Amen. So we must, we must prepare a plan for every assignment that God gives us. Last night, Dr. Brown was teaching us about, um, uh, you know, about finding your mission, finding your plan, and how Jesus found his mission. Amen? Because Jesus' mission was the lost sheep of Israel. Yeah. And his disciples' mission was, was to take the gospel even beyond the Jewish community to the ends of the earth. Yeah. What is your mission? What is God calling you to do? And when God gives you a mission statement, which I believe will be a scripture in God's word, then you, then you know the parameters of your calling, and then you, you can increase in, in the anointing in your life when you move in the parameters of the, of the mission of the mission God gives you. Because we can't be, you know, we, we can't be everywhere at once, and we can't do everything at once. We need to find what God has called us to do. Amen. There's a calling I have within ministry. There's a calling I have outside of ministry. But in every area, I want to find God's mission for my life and for your life as well. Amen. Yes. The third species of angels is known as the Erelim. Can you say it with me? Erelim. Erelim means brave ones. And they're described in Isaiah 33 verse 7. Behold, the valiant ones cry without. The envoys of peace weep bitterly. Now, I don't have any understanding of this angelic species. And when I don't know, I'll tell you I don't know, because what I'm trying to convey to you is a very lofty in nature, and I'll only explain to you the parts that I have some understanding of. But I just want you to be aware, there is a species of angels known as the Erelim, meaning brave ones. The fourth species of angels is known as the Hashmalim. Hashmalim means glowing ones or amber ones. Can you say it with me? Hashmalim. Hashmalim. Meaning glowing or amber ones. And, and they're just, these angelic species are described in Ezekiel 1.4 Ezekiel where it, it talks about a great cloud with brightness round about it, fire flashing continually in the midst of the fire. And there's, there's, there's that color of amber within, 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 the, within the fire within the midst of the storm. So even the, the, the golden glow is a species of angels. Yeah. Isn't this glorious? Yeah. The, the fifth, I'm getting excited all by myself here tonight. <laughs> the fifth species of angel is known as the seraphim. Y'all get excited with that one, seraphim. You can relate to the seraphim, amen? The six-winged creatures that hover above the throne of God. The seraphim means burning ones, and they're, they're described in more detail in Isaiah 6, 2 and 3, and Revelation 4, 8. So Isaiah 6, 2 and 3 read, Above him stood seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew, and one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Yeah. And in Revelation 4, 8, John has the same vision. 
See, the, the Apostle John had the same vision that Ezekiel and Isaiah received. And how does John describe this, um, this vision? And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all round about and within. And day and night they never cease to sing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. You see, John even receives a greater revelation. He receives revelation that Isaiah and Ezekiel did not receive. Yeah. See, because he sees the eyes within and without. Mm -hmm. And I, and, and again, don't try to paint this picture, because you're going to get a very ugly paint. Mm -hmm. The eyes within and without, um, in part, deal with uh, having a revelation and understanding of God's ways, of God's presence, and the, the, the way God moves. You know, if you're in a, in a church service, in, in, in a ministry, where the anointing, where the Spirit of God is moving with signs and wonders, everyone's going to have a different perception of what's taking place. Yes, there are some that are going to have tremendous degrees of understanding of what's taking, uh, taking place in the realm of the Spirit. Others will walk in that are very immature in the ways of God, and they're, they're going to be all excited just because they feel good at the time. Mm -hmm. But, but that's, nothing wrong with that, that that's okay, because every one of us has a different perception of God and, and different degrees of understanding of God's glory. But my prayer is that you're not going to stay where you are, you're going to go deeper and deeper and deeper. Yes, yes. And I'm, I'm going to con contrast mankind with angelic species. Angelic species have been created by God with a certain degree of perception of God. That means a seraph is always a seraph. A cherub is always a cherub. Every angelic species always remains in that species, and it can, never, it can never ascend, it can never go higher. It's created with one degree of, of perception. And as lofty as the, as the perception is, they can't go any higher. Mankind is blessed, and because of free will, we're also kind of cursed in a way too, because God has given mankind free will, so God wants us to choose to serve Him. He doesn't make us robots. So we can choose to go to infinite heights in Him, or we can choose to go to the lowest lows. We can become worldly, fleshly, uh, go to the most depraved lows in human existence, or we can ascend to the highest levels of God's glory. According to, according to the rabbis, there are 50 degrees of understanding. And when the Jews were in Egypt, within the exile, they had descended to the 49th level of depravity, one level from complete depravity. Wow. And, and then from the time that, um, uh, to, from the time of uh, Moses coming back to Egypt and teaching uh, the Israelites about God's ways and bringing them out of Egypt and bringing them to the foot of Mount Sinai, and God spoke the Ten Commandments to all of Israel, within that 50-day period, the Israelites had it had attained the 50th level of spirituality, the 50th level of understanding. But they lost it at the sin of the golden calf. Now, the, these angelic species known as the seraphim, and I think we can do a whole teaching, or multiple teachings, just in this one species alone. These angels, the seraphim, appear like flashes of fire continually ascending and descending. And the lightning that you see out of, the, out, of the, um, out of that storm, that lightning, the lightning we see are the seraphim. Yeah. The seraphim 
And this is where the, the I don't mean, to, I'm not trying to lower what we're reading here, because what we're reading here is at the highest level of, God, of spirituality, and we can, only, we, can only, we can only understand it in a very minute way. Yeah. But the, these seraphim empower the movement of God's chariot. And these angels absorb the light that is reflected from the Hashmalim. So we have the Hashmalim, the glowing ones, and, and, and the, actually not, uh, yeah, the glowing ones. And they release some type of light, and this light is absorbed by the seraphim. Yeah. The word seraph means to absorb a substance. So these angels, the seraphim, absorb divine light in order to transfer it to the next level of angels. Right. How does that apply to you and I? The way we apply this in our lives is that when we come to God's presence, we should be transformed. Yeah. When we enter the realm of God's glory, we should be changed. We should not leave a service the same way that we came in. Yeah. We, should be, we should walk out freer than, than, than before. Amen? Amen? And the glory of God is going to be returned to the church in a manner where this is going to be taking place again yeah. to a greater, de a greater degree. Because you cannot be in God's presence and, 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 be, and, and leave the same. Right. Even tonight, my prayer is that you're not going to leave here the same way that you came in. Because you are, like the seraph, you are absorbing divine light. God is pouring His glory, His revelation into you, and, you, and you're going to walk out of here transformed. Amen? I mean, look at what happened to Moses when he came down from the mount. After being with God for 40 days and 40 days. He came down glowing. He had, his head had to be covered with a veil. Because the glory was so intense. So my prayer is that you are going to experience transformation in your life. So every time you come into a meeting uh, in church, come in with the expectation that you're going to leave in a different manner than, what you, than, than the way you came in. Yeah. That means bondage is going to fall off of your life. Yeah. Depression is going to fall away from your life. Yeah. Allow God to bring that transformation in your life. Thank you. I would encourage all of you to take some time to read the books of Catherine Coleman. And, and look at the, the, read the testimonies of people that came to her services. Many of them came in living in poverty, and after just attending a couple of meetings, God started, their, their financial status began to change. Yes. God used to change everything about them. Even their social status began to, began to be lifted up. Yeah. And that was just something God was doing during that time. But you know what? If God did it then, He can do it now with us yeah. as well. Amen? Yeah. And I've seen this over and over again. People that come and serve in, in, in this ministry, and they come in all broken. They come in, I mean, just so hurt and, and, and just so down. And they come in and begin to serve under the anointing and begin, begin, to, begin to serve others. And God begins, begins to lift them out of their pit, and they come to a higher level. Amen? Yeah. So I want you all to allow God to, to take you higher and higher in Him. So, the, so, and that also means that whatever gift you have, the gift that God has given you is not just for you. It's for somebody else, yes. right? As you see these ranking of angels and how each, each angelic species is pouring into another angelic species, well, that's allow God to use you in, in that manner. You know, most of the world, most of the world is not going to step into a church. So the only church they're going to see is the way you live your life. Yeah. And then you got, allow God to use you to pour into, into, into the lives of other people. Maybe your neighbors in your neighborhood, in the workplace, um, out, out, just out in the, in the world. Yeah. And next in the hierarchy of angels, 
Um, and, and seraphim are considered to be the highest ranking. That meaning, meaning they're the closest to God. And followed by the seraphim are the hayot. And after the hayot, the hayot, I think uh, after the hayot we have the ofanim. Now one thing about God's throne, it's a chariot and it's in a constant state of motion. It's always moving. That's how it is in the realm of the spirit. Things are always changing. If you take a break from ministry, guess what? You're gonna, you may miss out on what God's doing. Because things, you know, look at the natural world. Things are changing at such a rapid rate. Yeah. I mean, if you were to take somebody from the 1980 and transport them to 2019, they would think they're on a, on a different planet. Yeah. They would have no idea what a touch screen is, no idea what a smartphone is, no, have no idea about all the, all the technology we have today. And, you, and guess what? It's just accelerating. If that's how it is in the realm of the natural world, how much more so it is it in the realm of the Spirit? Yes. Amen? The seraphim, again, are described as flashes of lightning, and the movement of all the angels of the chariot are controlled by the likeness of a man on the throne. Do you know who that is? Jesus. Amen. It's Jesus. It's the Son of Man. It's the, the Mashiach, the Messiah. So Israel, not Israel, Isaiah and Ezekiel both saw the king who is called the likeness of a man. And this likeness of a man is Christ Jesus himself, the Messiah. He is the one who stands in the heavenly chariot. And both Isaiah and Ezekiel had the same vision of the heavenly chariot, but each one described it differently. And would you like to know why they saw it differently? Well, one reason is God uses your personalities. And God uses your mind. He uses your understanding. He's not going to make you a robot, put you in a trance, and give you His Word. He's going to explain it to you, and then you can put it down in the way you understand it. That's why Isaiah, Ezekiel, and John describe the same experience in different ways. Yeah. Um, Pure Orthodox Union, it's one of the websites that I, I study. The people of Israel's generation, no, so the people of Isaiah's generation were like citizens who's, who reside in a kingdom's capital, while those of Ezekiel's generation were like townspeople who reside in a distant village. So Ezekiel described the, the Merkava from the perspective of a villager living in exile. Isaiah described the same vision from the perspective of a person living in the city, living in Jerusalem, living right in the midst of royalty. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So when a resident of a capital says, I saw the king today, the neighbors, the neighbors will reply, you did, so what? That's nice, no big deal, because they see that all the time. They don't need an they don't need an, an, an they don't need an, an elaboration because they see it all the time. You know they see the king's castle, the carriage, and all the things that go on with royalty. But when a villager sees a king, it's uncommon, right? Yeah. So that so the, the the villagers will want a detailed account of everything that's taken place. Yeah. They want to know about the armor, the appearance of the king and the queen, the crown, all the details that they'll inquire about. Because they're, 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 they demonstrate more hunger, and they demonstrate a, more, a greater willingness to, to, learn, to learn. Whereas those that live in the city, those that live in the, in the, in the midst of the king, take it for granted. Yes, yes. So that's why we see Ezekiel giving a greater, a, a greater 
detail than Isaiah. Another thing is, when you're in the midst of exile, I believe that God's going to manifest His glory to you in a greater manner than when you live in the promised land. And I've noticed in my own personal life, when I'm going through a dark time, that is when I, I get greater revelation of God's presence. The two books that I've written came forth when I was going through the darkest times in my life. They didn't come, those books did not come out of the times of my life where everything was going well. They, they came forth, they were birthed in the, in the midst of suffering and, and, and in the midst of pain. Amen. So God's glory will be made manifest to you, I believe, when you're really going through, when you're going through the most difficult times in your life. Now, I'm going to share, oh, sorry. The seraphim stood above, and they would call to one another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is Hashem, master of legions. The whole world is filled with His glory. And then, what does Isaiah say in Isaiah 6? He says, Woe is me, for I, for I shall die, for I am a man of unclean lips, that, and I live among a people of unclean lips. See, when Isaiah received the revelation of, this, of the Merkava, the heavenly chariot, he saw the awesome figure of all these angelic species. And, they, and he saw how they greeted each other with the Hebrew words, Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. Or in English, Holy, Holy, Holy. Isaiah was so overwhelmed by this vision that he cried out to God saying, Woe is me, I shall die, for I, I am witnessing a vision that I am totally unworthy to experience. Wow. When he experienced the loftiness, the glory of God's magnificent presence, yeah. and, and as, righteous, as righteous as Isaiah was, he saw himself as being nothing but filthy. Wow. And that's what will happen is, when you, when you have a true encounter with God, you're going to see your own filthiness. You're going to see the, the, the own stain of sin on your spiritual garments. Yeah. And, 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 and God's, God's going to cleanse you if you're willing to be cleansed. Yeah. See, when we come into God's presence, we should be transformed. Yes. And we should become aware of our sin so that we can become cleansed of our sin. Amen? Amen? Amen. So, tonight, Lord God, my prayer is that everyone in this room and everyone watching tonight on, on live will be transformed by reason of your glory tonight, in Jesus' name. Jesus. Amen? Amen? The sixth species of angels is known as the Malachim. Can you say it with me? Malachim? Malachim. Um, that word means messengers or angels. And I believe, I believe that Jacob encountered this, these angels on his, on his return back to the Promised Land. And these angels, I believe, are described in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 7 and verse 14. And it reads, of the angels, he says, who makes his angels winds, his servants flames of fire, verse 14, and they, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to serve for the sake of those who are to obtain salvation? So angels are God's messengers, amen? They're sent to all those that are to inherit salvation. Yeah. And right now we are in the, we are in the Christmas season. On December 25th, we'll be, we'll, we'll be celebrating the birth of the Christ child, Jesus. And Luke chapter 2, verse 9 through 11 read, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Be not afraid, for behold, 
I bring you good news of a great joy which will come to all the people. For to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. You see angels as, as ministering spirits of fire. We see angels as, as messengers. And Luke chapter 2, verse 13, uh, 2, 13 through 14. And suddenly there, were, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. I pray that God is pleased with all of us. Amen? And that he is pleased to dwell among us. The word malakim also refers to teachers that are able to take completely abstract concepts and explain it. So these angels are able to take the conversation process and, and, and transform a spiritual idea into something that can be understood in the natural. That's a quality that every teacher must carry. My prayer tonight is that I'm able to take some spiritual concepts and, and, make, and explain them in terms that you can understand in your own understanding. And that's what God does with all of us, right? Because we all have angelic properties. Yeah. Not really properties, but um, uh, characteristics. The seventh species of angels is known as the Elohim. Elohim means godly beings. So the word Elohim we often use referring to God himself, but there's also an angelic species called Elohim. So the word Elohim often refers to kings and rulers. And according to Maimonides, these angels are similar to the physical rulers of the world. These are the angels that transfer an, an idea from the spiritual world into the physical. My perception of this is, just as we have rank, we have orders and rankings in the world, countries with, with, with leaders, with kings, with presidents, prime ministers, and, and we, have, you know, we have rankings in, in all parts of government, and even Satan's kingdom is not divided, but there's rankings around it's Satan's kingdom. Well, God's kingdom has order as well, and there's rankings in, in God's kingdom as well. Amen? Amen? Again, it's not my goal tonight to explain each angelic species in detail. My goal tonight is to teach you different characteristics of each angelic species and look for areas that, that you can apply in your own lives today. Amen? Yes. I'm not here to talk to you in esoteric terms. I'm here to speak to you in practical terms. The eighth species of angel is known as the Bene Elohim. Bene Elohim, can you say that with me? Bene Elohim refers to sons of godly beings. Ben, uh, and this is, um, this is what my mom and he says. Ben and Elohim are the angels that guide the idea in the physical world. This is in order that the idea works in the way that it was intended to work. This is how I'm going to explain it. All of God's plans in creation are executed through the assistance of, of, angel, of angels. Does that make sense? Yeah. Look at the book of Revelation. With, with every judgment, with every vial, we see angels being used to execute God's will. Right? Yeah. We see Herod being struck dead in the book of Acts. God sent an angel to perform that. We see angels at work throughout the Bible. We see angels being sent to Jacob to escort him out of the promised land and escort him back into the promised land. Yeah. We see angelic work throughout the Bible. Yeah. So they're carrying out God's plans in the earth. We see, we see three angels being sent to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. The ninth species of, and actually before we go on, the, the species of angels known as Bene Elohim 
And, and the Archangel Michael is part of this species of angels. I can't prove this to you. I'm just sharing with you what the Rambam says. You can take it or leave it, but I, but I, uh, I have no, I have no, um, you know, so I can't prove it e either way. But one thing I do believe is every angelic species, including these ten rankings, each angelic species has an archangel. So the highest ranking angel in each category of, of angels has an archangel. So the, the, the highest ranking angel of the Bene Elohim is the archangel Michael. And that's the angel that God's going to use to cast, to cast Satan into the pit. The ninth species of angels is known as the, uh, the cherubim, cherubim. That's plural for, uh, the, for, the cher, for, the, for the cherubim. It's the same word, cherubim is how we say it in English. These are the four hyot, the living creatures that drive the chariot. Ezekiel 1.5, And from the midst of it came the likeness of four living creatures, and this was their appearance. They had the form of men. The archangel Gabriel is part of this species of angel. I believe that Lucifer was also part of the species of angel. In Ezekiel 1.5 from the art scroll Ezekiel reads, And from its midst a semblance of four ayos, or, 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 or cherubim, this was their appearance. They had the semblance of a man. So Hayo is Haya, C-H-A-Y-A-H, is singular for Hayot, C-H-A-Y-O-T. And each cherub, we call them cherub, had four faces. A face of a man, a face of a lion, a face of an ox, and a face of an eagle. I'm going to ask you to repeat this after me. Each Haya, we're going to use Hebrew words tonight instead of the English ones. Each Haya had four faces. A face of a man, a face of a lion, a face of an ox, and a face of an eagle. Now, when I was a child, I tried to draw these pictures, and there were some very ugly drawings that I made. I said, Lord, I don't understand this. I'm trying to draw this, but it doesn't make any sense. Guess what? You can't draw these spiritual concepts. Because you're not, the intention, the prophet's intent is not for you to make a beautiful painting. The prophet's intent is for you to glean spiritual understanding of God's glory. Amen? Amen? Amen. Now I'm gonna now I'm gonna ask you all to put on your seatbelts. Because okay. we're about to launch. Oh. Alright? I've been wanting to say this to you for weeks, but we saved, saved it for tonight. <laughs> so this is probably a time I should turn off the recording. Alright. So on each on each side of this angelic creature, so there's four, there's four higher, right? Four, four of them. Four, four, four higher. On each side of each face are four faces. So if you see one face, it has four faces. You look at the other side, there's four faces. The, the third side, four faces. And the fourth side, four faces. Meaning that each higher had 16 faces. Because each side had four faces. Sixteen faces behind. And each face had four wings. 
Give, if you do the math, that gives each hyot, each hyot has 64 wings. And with four hyot, you have a total of 256 wings and a total of um, uh, 64 faces, if I've done the math right. Now, don't, don't try to understand that. We can't begin to comprehend what's been said. I shared it with you because I feel at liberty to share it with you. But I just encourage you just to ponder it and, and just you know, let, let, let the Lord bring you the revelation. But I think it refers to the multifaceted nature of God. His ways are incomprehensible. I mean, no matter how much of God that we learn about, we'll, we'll only know this much about Him. Because, it, I mean, we're always going to be a species of creation known as mankind, male and female. We're always going to be that species. And we'll never become gods. We'll, we will never become equal to God. We'll always be of the species of man. And even if I have 10 billion times the knowledge of what I have right now, it's still infinitesimal. It's so minute compared to the, to, to, to the magnificence of God's glory. Amen? So that's what I believe the revelation, one of the revelations of this is. The word hyos, which is plural for hyo, means supporters. And it represents the highest assistance. The archangel Gabriel belongs to this species of angels. So, Gabriel is part of, is, is one of the cherubs, he's part of the hyos. And Michael, the archangel, is part of the species known as the Bene Elohim. Now, I don't have a PowerPoint to show you today, so I can't, I can't display this. But if you want to see it, just make a comment on, on tonight's Facebook post, and, I, and I'll, I'll, I'll add it. The, the, when Israel was in the wilderness, they were, they were grouped into four camps, four groupings. And the way they were grouped looked like the formation of the four faces on the high altar. On, so... The camp of Judah is represented by the lion. The camp of Reuben is represented by the man. The camp of Ephraim is represented by the ox. And the camp of Dan is represented by the eagle. Now we have 12 tribes. The tribe of Levi is not counted. The, the camp of Reuben represents the man. And with Reuben we have Gad, Simon, and, and Reuben. So three tribes. In the camp of Judah, representing the lion, the face of the lion, we have Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun on the east side. Reuben was on the south side. Judah was on the east side. And then on the north side, we have Dan, representing the eagle. And off the camp of Dan, we have Dan, Asher, and Naphtali. And then to the west, we have the camp of Ephraim, represented by the ox, having three tribes as well, Benjamin, Manasseh, and Ephraim. So three times four is twelve, twelve tribes. So they surrounded the tabernacle, right? And in the middle, we have, we, we have, we have the tabernacle, we have the Levites, we, we have the Kohanim, we, we, we have the priests, we have the sons of Aaron, are, are, are in the center. So when every one of us is in a position in the place that God has placed us within the body of Christ, then we prepare the way for God's glory to come down. Yes. But if we are in disunity and we're walking in dis disaccord, guess what? God's glory will not fall to the, to the degree that He wants. Because if we are in place, God's glory will be made manifest the way Ezekiel saw, the way Isaiah saw, 
and the way John saw, and the way Daniel saw as well. Now, are you ready to, to go even higher in orbit? Yeah. Now we're ready to launch you in, 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 into the stratosphere. Okay. In the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we also see the four facets of Christ in the Gospels. In, in the Gospel of Matthew, we see the, the face of a lion. Because Matthew's Gospel depicts Christ's royal character, who's described from the tribe of Judah, the lion, Judah. Jesus is the lion of Judah. Make sense? Mm -hmm. And if you read the first chapter of Matthew, you see the genealogy of Christ, going all the way back to, uh, all the way back to Judah. The second gospel is Mark. And Mark shows us the humanity of Christ. Fully God, and at the same time, He's fully man. Fully man. Even though He was fully God, it's almost like he took the, and he never stopped being God, but when he lived the life as a man, he, he, he lived so servant, a servant to the Father, and he depended upon God the Father for everything. Amen? Yes. So he did not use his power as God to live his life on earth. That would be cheating. He did not cheat. Because he was teaching us how to live as well. Yes. So the Gospel of Mark shows us the, the face of the cherub which is the face of a man, the second face, and it, and it represents the humanity of Christ. See, Christ became man and experienced every suffering that we can experience so that he can relate to us. Amen? Amen. The third face that we see is the face of an ox. Because the ox represents priestly character. The ox represents the anointing. Amen? That's in Luke. And wasn't Luke the doctor? Yeah. The fourth gospel is, um, is the gospel of John. And in John, we see the face of an eagle. What does an eagle do? It ascends. And this is where we see the mystery of the Word of God. We see Jesus being the manna that came down from heaven. We see, we see the deity of Christ within the gospel of John. The tenth species of angelic species is known as the Ishlim. Can you say Ishlim? Ishlim. Ishlim means man-like beings similar to fires. As we and well actually this part I'm gonna actually save for for, for, for next week. Because we're gonna go into the fire next week. But I wanna just take a few minutes here and I think we're still got another a few minutes to go. Did you get something out of tonight's teaching? Yes. Yeah. Right. Awesome. You know, Jacob also entered into the midst of his own personal storm as well. Ezekiel was, was given a vision of the Merkabah during a period of time in Israel's history, which is one of the lowest points. They had been exiled out of the Promised Land. Their temple was destroyed. Their city was destroyed. And they were exiled into Babylon. And in the midst of that suffering, God revealed himself to, 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 to him through the Merkava vision. And Jacob entered into his own storm after he escaped from Laban. This week's Torah reading is Parsha by Ishlak. Remember I talked about the, the, the weekly Torah readings? Yes. The annual cycles? This week's, in this week's cycle is Parsha by Ishlak. And by Ishlak means, and he sent. Can you say that with me? Vaishlak? 
means and he sent. And it's taken from Bereshit, which means Genesis 32 verse 4, and it reads, Jacob sent angels ahead of him to his brother Esau, to the land of Seir, to the field of Edom. And this Parsha, Parsha Vaishla, consists of Bereshit 32 verse 4, all the way through 36, 43. Now I'm going to read this to you from the RSV. I like this translation. It says, Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's army. Can you imagine this? Jacob has already fled from his, from his uh, wicked father-in-law, Laban, who was an evil sorcerer, probably the most wicked sorcerer of, of that generation. So he's already, he has victory over Laban. So he and the fam his entire family, two wives, two concubines, all the children, I mean, all, uh, every, all the livestock, everything, they're, they're escaping. And he, come, he, he comes out and, he, and he's, he's coming to the promised land and he sees and a, a great company of angels meet him. And he discerns this is God's army. So he called the name of that place Maha, Mahana Im. Mahana Im. And then verse 3, And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir. These messengers were angels. And then he instructed the angels, This is what you shall say to my lord Esau. Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now, and I have oxen, asses, flocks, men servants, and maid servants, and I have sent to and I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. Yeah. Now, if you study Jacob the way most Christians are taught about Jacob, most of most people see Jacob as a very wimpy character. I've heard preachers call him, call him a mama's boy. Uh, they, they call him all kinds of names. I mean, they, they, they call him a liar, a deceiver. And you know what? Everything that you say is, is, is I mean, not you, but it, it, none of it's true. The opposite is true. When Scripture says that he dwelt in tents, it doesn't mean that he was in the kitchen with his mom cooking. It means that he dwelt in God's presence. His character was developed in God's presence. He was not a liar. He was not a de deceiver. He loved God with all, with all of his heart, and he loved, he loved God's word above everything. Amen? Amen? Esau was a surplanter. Esau was a deceiver. And Esau manipulated to get whatever he wanted. And it was God's plan that Jacob received the blessing. Yeah. It was completely orchestrated by heaven. Yeah. And, 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 and one of these sessions, I'll, I'll go into that teaching on Jacob and Esau, but, but not this evening. And look, and and we see we see Jacob as such a a wimpy character, don't we? And we, we see him coming, uh, escaping Laban, and we see him acting. So, on the surface reading of the scripture, it looks like Jacob is such a wimpy character. It looks like he has he doesn't have it with himself to fight, and he looks like he's so afraid. That is so far from the truth. I want you to see Jacob in this light. In this light. Jacob is a mighty man of God. Jacob is a mighty warrior. Jacob is a giant in the faith. And everything that Jacob goes through is a prophetic parallel to what Israel will go through in all future generations. 
So every exile that Jacob goes through is prophetic of what the Israel, what Israel will go to, through in the future four exiles. Yeah. The first exile is the exile in, in Babylon. The second exile is the exile of Medes and Persians. The third exile is the Greek exile which began with Alexander the Great and continued on with his four generals after Alexander died. And the Feast of Hanukkah, which is going to take place on Kislev the 25th, the 25th day of the ninth month in the Hebrew calendar, is, is, the, is a day in which we celebrate the Hashmonian family leading 6,000 Jews, revolting against 46, 47,000 Syrian Greeks, and taking back the temple and rededicating it over an eight-day period. There was only enough oil to light the menorah for, for one day, and, and they lit the, the menorah with that one uh, vial, and they needed eight days to, pr to produce more oil, but God kept the menorah lit for all eight days supernaturally with only one vial of oil. And it represents the supernatural light. And it represents being faithful to the end. Because most Jews during that time had given in to Hellenistic ways. But the Hashemonian family did not compromise in their faith. And they, and, and they, they put their lives on the line to, 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 to take back God's temple. I, I want you to imagine what's taking place. The holiest place in the entire universe is the, is the Holy of Holies in the temple in Jerusalem. And imagine a foreign army coming into that Holy of Holies, completely destroying it, overthrowing everything, and, and setting up their own altar, placing a statue of Zeus on that altar, and sacrificing a pig, the most, un, the most unkosher animal, on, on that altar, completely desecrating God's temple. And the Hashmonians, the, the, the priestly family, would have nothing to do with it, and they fought, and they, 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 they were willing to lay their lives, they were willing to lay their lives down to the death for the sake of God's kingdom. That is one of the anointings of Hanukkah, is that we become a light in, in the midst of darkness. Amen? Amen. Jacob was a light in the midst of his darkness. See, Esau represents the most evil force of all time. From the bloodline of Esau, we have Amalek. Amalek, the grandson of Esau. Haman, who's, who's the antagonist within the story of Esther, is a descendant of Amalek. And throughout history, there's always a war, a tug of war, between Esau and, 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 and Jacob. Whenever Esau ascends, Esau will descend. When Esau ascends, Jacob will descend. But in the very end, the Mashiach, the Messiah of Israel, will come and destroy the forces of Esau. Now, I want you to see the strength of Jacob. Now, before I explain one of these verses to you, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever been in a place where someone is, maybe a teacher is speaking, and there's different levels of understanding of the students in the room? And he, the instructor is speaking to one person, let's, let's say it's Sister Monica, and who has a higher level of understanding, so he, he's speaking and she's, and she's grasping the lofty level of, of conversation. I mean, she's understanding what he's saying. But then there's a child in the room, and the child is not getting the, the, the deep message, but that child is getting a simple message. Wow. Right? So what I'm trying to portray here is, and not very articulately, is that there are many messages being given in the things that Jacob is saying. Many messages. And, and Jacob is not a wimp. Jacob is a mighty man of valor. 
a mighty man of God. He's been tested. He's been through the fire. He's been through training. I mean, he's, he's, he's gone through everything. So and he, he's come out, and he is a spiritual giant. Not just spiritual, but physically as well. And so this is, the, this is the message that he sent to Esau through these angels, these messengers. And he says, I have sword joint. Can you say it with me? I have sword joint. I have with Laban. Now you may wonder now, wonder what's the point of even telling Esau this? He says, I have sword joint. Now the, he, the words... I have sword joint in Hebrew, because in Hebrew, every letter, every word has a numerical value. And within the numerical values, on the sums of words, there is a prophetic message. It's called gematria. So the numerical value of I have sword joint in Hebrew is the number 613. What does 613 represent? There are 613 mitzvot, or commandments, in the Torah. From Genesis 1-1 to the last verse of Deuteronomy, there are 613 commandments, 248 positive commandments, meaning, meaning thou shalt do, and uh, 365 negative commandments, meaning thou shalt not do. And so, what he's, when, he, when, when Jacob says these words, he's speaking a message, and, and obviously Esau would understand it because Esau received the same Torah learning that Jacob did when they grew up in, in Isaac and Rebekah's home. And so, so Esau would understand what Jacob was saying. So when he says, I have sword joint, he is saying, I have kept all 613 commandments. And he says, I have kept 613 commandments and I did not learn from the evil deeds of Laban. Because everybody knew who Laban was. They knew he was the most wicked man of that generation. They knew he was a wicked sorcerer. That's why Rachel hid the idol of Laban. Not because she was, an, because she was idolatrous. She, wasn't, she was not an idol worshiper. She was a matriarch in Israel. She, took, she stole the idol to prevent her father from performing divination to find him. And, 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 and what Jacob is saying... I was so strong in God's word, I did not deviate from God's ways in any way. I did not compromise in my faith. I stayed faithful during all those dark years in Laban's house. I did not learn from his evil ways. I remained righteous. I remained a man of God. So, there's nothing you can do to me. That is the message he was delivering to Esau. You know, one of the ways, and I'll give the example of the United States, one of the ways that America promotes its agenda in the world is through its strength, through its military strength, through its political strength, through its economic strength. It's not a bad thing, it's a good thing. It's, it, they, it, the, we, we use our strength to maintain our position in the world, yeah. right? Yeah. And what the teaching here is, Jacob used his Torah, his military power, his military strength, his possessions, his 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 especially his Torah learning and his Torah observance to demonstrate the strength that he carried with God and that Esau could not defeat him. And then he said, I'm coming, to, I'm coming to you to find favor in your eyes. I am coming to you peaceably. I'm coming to seek your love. He's telling Esau that I, 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 want, I, you know, I, want, to, I want to join you. I want to, I, I want to mend our, our relationship. But I'm not here to do war with you. 
And then the subliminal message is, I'm not going to destroy you. The Messiah, the Mashiach of the Israel, in the future, when he comes, he will destroy you. And when Messiah returns, he will come as a military leader and he will destroy the forces of darkness. I'm going to call it the final Hanukkah. And he will cast Satan into, in, into, that, into that abyss. And he will rule for a thousand years and he will usher in the, the, next, the, the, the next millennium. Right now we are in the sixth millennia, the year 5780. And, uh, and according to the rab all the rabbis I've studied, the Messiah must come by the year 6,000. Mm -hmm. But they all believe it's going to be much sooner than that. And I often hear the rabbis saying, come, Messiah, come, come, Messiah, come. The, the Jews are so hungry for the coming of Messiah. But you know what? And I, and I say this as a rebuke to the church. I don't see many Christians hungry for the coming of Messiah. And we should be longing for the coming of Messiah. You know, I want all of you ladies, I mean, how many ladies in here have been married before? Just about, most, most of you have. I mean, how much anticipation did you have for your wedding day? Bhavna only had three days to prepare, so she... <laughs> but, but for most of you, and that's all my fault, but, but, but for, for most of you, you probably had months, if not years, to prepare for your wedding day, right? It's too long. <laughs> I mean, and you plan out every single detail. Every single detail. I remember I was meeting with one of our one of our um, suppliers from work, and we're, he was telling us about he was on he was on a plane he was on a, he was on a flight to uh, from somewhere a six hour flight from the east coast to west coast I believe, and he was saying he was sitting next to um, a lady that was uh, you know making preparations for her wedding, and she spent the entire flight looking on her iPad looking at bridal dresses and, and stuff. I mean I mean she spent the entire flight. Uh, um, preparing that. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's, it's a good thing. But, I mean, if that's how much time we spend in the months and the hours that, that we spend on earthly marriage, how much more attention should we place on preparing ourselves to, to be married to the bridegroom who is Christ Jesus himself? Amen? We are the bride of Christ. We're not going to show up with dirty garments. We need, we need to come with clean garments. Amen? Everything is perfectly pressed, ironed, uh, shoes polished, everything. Amen. Amen. Yeah. And that comes through character refinement. It comes, it, it comes through the crushings of life. Because in the midst of the darkness, our light is going to shine through. Amen. In the midst of the storm, the amber lighting and the amber and the lightnings shone forth. Amen. Amen. And we're actually going to end the teaching right here. I'm going to ask you all. Actually, now before you stand, before I close it. <laughs> And at the end, in verse 23, 24, verse 25, all the way through 28 of Genesis 32, Esau, not Esau, Jacob fights God, right? Mm -hmm. And it says in verse 24, and Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. When the man saw that he could not prevail against Jacob, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and Jacob's thigh was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day is breaking. And Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with, you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Wow. Now, the man that wrestled with him in Hebrew is Menachem. 
And when he wrestled at men, I want, to, I, want to, I want you to picture two men facing each other, each man, each man with, with his hands on the shoulders of the opponent. And they're pushing against each other, and as they're pushing against each other, as they're wrestling, they're kicking the dust up from the ground. Like the storm in Ezekiel's vision. So he's caught up within his own dust storm as he's fighting this angelic being. And for they were raising dust with their feet through their movements. And he received the blessing. The rabbis teach us that the man that Jacob wrestled was the archangel of Esau. The final thing I want to bring out in this teaching here is when, he, when, when Jacob was striving and fighting with this angel, he, he was basically declaring to heaven, you must accept me as the recipient of the Abrahamic covenant. Esau thinks that I took the, the, the blessing through deception. I want heaven and earth to acknowledge that I took this blessing rightfully and God gave me this blessing. He was declaring and decreeing that heaven must also, even the demonic realm, must accept that God has given the Abrahamic blessing to me through Isaac. Amen? Did you all see that? Yeah. And sometimes he had taken authority in the realm of the spirit and in the natural as well. And with that, let's, let's stand and let's give the Lord a hand of praise. Amen.